Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. We're, we're in a series called How to Pray, and I've so appreciated the first two weeks of our teaching by Pastor Keith Smith, and I really love the prayer tool that he equipped us with. If you didn't receive a copy of this, they're going to be at the Next Steps Lounge on the way out, the big blue wall. You can grab a copy of this, a great way and a great tool to learn to pray. If you're online, in the chat room, there will be a link that you can click uh, and you can get this tool for yourself. I want to talk, I'm going to have a bit of a community chat today. I want to talk about the need for and the value of corporate prayer, together prayer. You know, this is what we do. We gather. We gather today online. We've gathered in this room. We gather to sing songs to God. The Bible calls that worship. We gather to learn from the scriptures, and we call that preaching and teaching. We gather to give. We call those tithes and offerings. And we gather to pray. But the fact is, I can do all those things by myself. I don't need you to sing. Now, you, some of you sound much better than I do, but I don't need you to sing a song of worship to God. I don't need you to necessarily pray. I can pray on my own. I don't need you to necessarily read the word of God together with you because I can do that by myself and I can give by myself. There's a lot of things we can do individually. So the question is, why bother gathering? Why is there a necessity on gathering? We live in a world where technology and westernized culture enables us to live a life independent of each other, actually even encourages us to live a life that is independent of each other. But the church, the church was never meant to operate that way. A church is a community of people. It is not a building. It's not a facility. It's not a staff. It's not a style. It's a community of people that gather in Jesus' name. But the culture of this world so easily encroaches on the church and it shapes and forms each of us individually and then collectively. You know, I've been a pastor for 30 years, 30 years. And during 30 years, I can't tell you how many people have approached me after gatherings or before gatherings with a bit of a warning, a sense of like the world, this is the language that would often be used, the world is coming into the church that the culture of this world is encroaching on the church. And almost with great consistency over 30 years, usually they'll follow it up with pointing up how people are dressing, or the style of the music, or the lights. Everything that the New Testament writers were not concerned about. Not at all. That that was no... In fact, if you read the Bible, you realize that God continues to encourage new forms of music beautiful artistic expressions that cause us to worship God and radiate his beauty through his creation. That's normal. I I love church history. I'm always amused at certain times because you, you would never understand the controversy there was in the church history when the organ was introduced to the church. That was secular, 
What is that doing? The church is going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and then when they move from Gregorian chants to kind of more modern day singing, radical. That was of the culture. That was of the world. The New Testament writers, those are not the things that bothered them, uh, that they thought were the encroachment on the culture into the church. Uh, let me give you some examples of the things that did bother them the things that they did highlight, the things that they were very concerned about maybe the world encroaching into the culture of the church. Let me give you one example. Uh, John, the Apostle John, he has this vision from God. It's recorded in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelations. And in chapter two, God speaks to a local church. And he says this, hey, he commends them for their faithfulness, for the right theology and the right belief, the right doctrine, for, for their work against evil and their work for justice in this world. But he says the culture has crept in among you, though, the culture of this world. And he describes it this way. He says this, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. And you're doing everything right. But you don't love me and you don't love each other like you did at first. How does that happen? I remember when I was a younger pastor, I did a lot of marriage counseling because uh, uh, now there are so many better counselors than I. But I would do a lot of marriage counseling and there'd be a couple that would come and see me. And usually when a couple comes to see you, they don't come when they're trying to tweak something or prevent something. They come after something catastrophic has come. And so they're sitting in front of me and previously, this is my ride or die. Now I want her to die. You know, it's that kind of point they're at at this point. What happened? Usually when you follow the breadcrumbs back, you can point to maybe infidelity or something that happened, but there, there was something that happened way before that. Usually there's been a subtle, subtle shift in the affections of the heart in another direction. Something has captivated or someone has captivated them in another direction. They, their time and attention shifted. You know, those are two different things, right? Time and attention. You can give someone your time while not giving them your attention, right? You can give them your attention and not give them your time. Time and attention. Time is presence. Time is I'm with you. Attention is focus. I'm not just with you. I, I hear you. I'm not just with you. I see you. I notice. And so it is with followers of Jesus and even for a church community. We could, you could lose sense of your first love, and it's so subtle, it's so nuanced, you don't notice it. You don't notice it because why? We're busy doing things right and believing things right and missing the point. We start harboring hatred towards our brother and sister. We start looking around, and we start crossing our arms, and something changes in our heart. And where there was a heart of love, there becomes a heart of stone. When Shelley and I were early, we had little kids at the time. My wife's name is Shelly, and we were married, and, and there was, this is kind of this undertone of conflict in our marriage. Uh, I was never home. I was always working, and she was taking care of two little kids all the time. So, you know, I'd come home, and she'd say, what do you do? And I said, well, I went out to eat with so-and-so. Oh, you got to eat with adults? Like, and talk with them? You didn't, did they have to cut your meat? Like she had to, with all the, and, and, and this kind of built up over time, and, and there was a little bit of a hostility between us. Whose life has it, who has it worse? Her, with the kids, all the time, or me, at work? And I just began to shut her out. 
little bit at a time. I came home, I was quite animated. I came home and I played with those boys. I was, I was on fire. I was Disney dad. And, and I was letting her know that I'm a fun guy. I'm a good guy. And she'd ask me, Jonathan, how are you doing? Or, or, or is there something wrong? And I'd say, no, nothing wrong. Why? Something wrong with you? That works. <laughs> little by little, I, I was hardening. We are creating a wall between the one person I loved in this world. You have a moment where you have to catch yourself and you go, what am I doing here? We're not only on the same team. This is a priority relationship in my life. We're not competing. But she didn't have my time and she didn't have my attention. Work had that. Thank God for people that get in your face. Thank God for people that see the train wreck coming and they don't let it just happen. Thank God for Shelly. <laughs> see, it so easily happens that we begin to lose our way. You know, I, I love that hymn we just sung. I think i emotional every time I, see, think, uh, I sing it because I know who I am. And Jesus' love, his unmerited, undeserved, unearned grace is just simply amazing. Our response to God's love should be emotional. It should be amazing. There's no one that loves you deeper and better. There's no one that will go the full way. There's no one that is truly your ride or die. God loves you. It's amazing. You see, all of us have been infected. We've been distorted. We've been destroyed. We've been uh, shaped by sin. And the accuser, and that's what the scripture calls the evil one, the accuser wants to step in and he wants you to live in that. He wants to live in your deficiencies and your brokenness and your sinfulness. He wants you actually to despair over that. But Jesus, Jesus would never leave you like that. Jesus doesn't want you to live in it. He doesn't want you to despair in it. Jesus wants to restore you from it, heal you from it, redeem you from it. So we gather. This is why we gather. We remind ourselves when we sing songs of what Jesus has done to set us free. We remind ourselves as we joyfully and cheerfully give. We remind ourselves as we lift our voices in prayer together as the redeemed. People who are thankful and people with faith. People of faith and thanksgiving. Has the culture stepped in on you, friend? Has it invaded? Is it nuanced, subtly drifted you away? Has it distracted you? Has your pursuits in life muted the gift of life in you? I don't know. Follow your emotions. Are you still amazed? Are you still in love? Are you loving the people that God placed around you? It's not easy every day. But it's a great litmus test. Follow your emotions. That's one of the ways the culture subtly invades us. The other way that the culture subtly invades us in the New Testament church, the writers in the New Testament are pretty concerned about it, is the way the church can become more consumer-driven, that it becomes more about what we're getting than what we're giving. See, every time we gather, you're going to see this a little later in the message, every time we gather, we come to give something. We come to give something. But when the accent puts on the wrong syllable, something changes. 
Now, we have a very young staff here at One Church Steel, and they're amazing, just amazing. But there are a lot of them are young, much younger than me. I was teaching a bunch of them this last week, and I looked in the room, and I realized, I'm the oldest guy in the room. When did that happen? Anyone ever feel like that at work? You're in a meeting, and all of a sudden, you're the oldest guy in the room. You're going like, what happened? How did this happen? So, uh, you know, our deacon board, fantastic deacon board, they provided years ago for this church staff an RRSP program that you could pay into, a registered retirement savings plan. And they did it because they knew a lot of pastors can't afford to retire at some point in time. So I'm not just their boss, uh, I'm their pastor. And I'm old enough to be many, for many of them, I'm old enough to be their father. So I remind them on any occasion I can to take advantage of that. Why? Because 20-something-year-olds aren't thinking about retirement. I didn't when I was their age. Not at all. Shelly and I were church planting. We didn't even have, I didn't even know what an RSP was. I didn't have anything like that available. So we, we were, we've been way behind most of our lives because of that. So I remind them often, hey, pay now for later. Jesus does the same for the followers of Jesus. He does the same thing. He says this. He says to store up treasure in heaven. What's he doing there? He's trying to help us to remember that we have a window to give. And this is our window. And it affects eternity. And when we give as a community, what we're practicing, and this again, this is another community behavior. This is the way we do gathering together. When we do this, we're pushing back against money owing us. We're pushing it back about greed controlling us and materialism shaping us. We're pushing back against all of those things. Aren't they subtle, though? Greed is subtle. Materialism is subtle. Who thinks they're greedy? None of us think we're greedy. Who thinks they're materialistic? None of us think we're materialistic. Giving pushes back against those things. In fact, at the end of our gathering, whether you're online or here in the church, in the lobby, our finance team is going to be available to you. If you want to know more about where your money goes, how, it, how it's used, or if you want to know more about how to give digitally or recurring giving or anything, they're going to be available to answer all your questions. See, when you give, we're pushing back against the culture of the world creeping into the church and into your heart. Here's the final one. final one has to do with gathering. One of the areas the New Testament writers, with great consistency, warns the church about is neglecting to gather. Here's, here's one of the famous verses. You've probably seen this before in Hebrews. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another. There's your, there's your job description when you come to a gathering. When you're coming in here, you're coming to think of, how can I motivate the people around me? How can I encourage the people around me? To what end, though? to motivate them to one another to acts of love and good works. This is the verse that caused us to launch Love Army. Acts of love. Love Army is, an, is a tool to help motivate people towards acts of love and good works. And let us, can you say these words with me? Not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, this could be such a guilt trip, you know, especially when you got a preacher up front, right? Hey, you make sure you come out to church. I'm not your auntie. I'm not your mom or your granny. It's, it's not a guilt trip. This is not meant a guilt trip. Don't miss the point here. It's not meant to be a guilt trip. 
This is, this, is not a rule, this is not about rule keeping. This is about life shaping. This is not some sort of shame trip. It's a pearl of wisdom for those who know this life doesn't have all that it has to offer. There's more than this world. There's more than this life. I grew up in a church uh, in the east coast of Canada. And in Sunday school, they gave out awards for perfect attendance. Didn't any of you who grew up in the church ever have anything like that? Uh, they used to do it at schools. Do they still do it at schools, perfect attendance awards? No, I don't think so. I think yeah, maybe. Well, they, we, they used to give out little medals. And you get a little medal, you pin it on. I had perfect attendance this year. And then it had a little link that you could have years of different medals down here. Some of our seniors had medals down to here, perfect attendance at church. It was incredible. We're going to bring them back. No, no, no. <laughs> You know, but here's the thing. It's not about perfect attendance. That's where the guilt comes in. It's not about that. It's not about perfect attendance. Because the fact is, gathering together doesn't automatically make us a together gathering. Gathering together doesn't make us a together gathering. It doesn't make us a community. One of my favorite authors, he's long dead and gone. His name was Henry Nowen. He was a professor from Yale University and a, a minister. He said this about community. Community is the fruit of our capacity to make the interests of others more important than our own. That's when you have community. Every parent knows that. How many of you are raising kids that are in programs? And if they're a little bit successful, how many of you arrange your whole house around what they do? No hands, please, no hands. <laughs> We all do. We all have, if you've had kids. Why? Why? That's community. Community is you sacrificing for the people you love around you. The fruit of community is to make the interests of others more important than your own. God calls us to share. Here's the vision for our church. God calls us to share our lives together and to create hospitable spaces where the recreating power of God's spirit can be manifest. That happens when we gather. God, God calls us to share our lives together. We heard stories from people being baptized. They let us, what a privilege for them to let us in on their story, that they shared their story with us. We share our lives with each other, and then we create hospitable spaces in community groups, in this space, in homes, in corners, in prayer groups, we create hospitable spaces where God's, spirit, God's power can be manifest through his spirit. That's what happens when we gather and we worship. So I want to talk to you about why we need to pray together, why it's important we pray together. I want to start by just answering a simple question. Why is it important to pray together? And the answer is pretty simple, because the writers of Scripture prioritize that type of prayer. If you go through the New Testament and you study prayer, you'll realize 90% of the teaching of prayer in the New Testament is of a corporate prayer. It's in a corporate context. Yet if you go to your Christian bookstore, 90% of the books will be about individual prayer and your private devotional life and your personal journey. So, I'm not minimizing, that's very important. But I will say this, our culture in westernized, in Canada at least, and I think in westernized cultures, 
is more about the individual than it is about the community. The accent is on me, myself, and I, not we and us. And that accent distorts the gospel and distorts what God would call us to be a part of. Over and over, you see, we propose a very individualistic and personal faith. You can see it in our culture. You can't even share something because people might push back because that's personal. And I, 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 and I advocate for respecting the people around you. But I would say this. The accent is on this community of people that have individuals in it. And God speaks to a community, and God moves in a community differently than he does with individuals. That's what makes corporate prayer so important. So, so what are the benefits of corporate prayer? What's the benefits of coming together and praying together? Well, the first one, if you've been around or grown up in the church, you'll get this first one. It expands your prayer life. It expands your prayer life. I've been in prayer meetings, I don't know, maybe you have too, where someone has prayed, and I thought, wow, they have a vocabulary I don't have, or they have a faith that I don't have. And I can add my yes and amen, yes, Lord, do it, to their prayer. I learn. I borrow their words. I borrow their faith in that moment. And that shapes how I learn how to pray. I've had people over the years say, how did you learn how to pray? By listening to my dad pray. By listening to my grandparents pray. By being around people who prayed. I, I, you can get a book, but I don't know, maybe you're like that. Maybe you're more book strong. I, I like to see it. If I see it and hear it, I learn that way. So there's something that happens when you're in a corporate together gathering and you're praying. It expands our ability to pray. The second thing it does is it builds unity. When you come and pray together, it builds unity. Unity is something, again, great study, another message, another sermon, another day. Something powerful about unity and corporate prayer together. And when you see it in scripture, it's epic. When those things collide, look out what happens. Something gets built in unity when we pray with others. And we pray towards one thing together. There's a unity that happens there. Unity creates space for the power of God to be at work. There's this example in Acts chapter 4. Persecution had broken out on the church. Days were desperate. It's difficult. And it says in, the, in Acts chapter 4 that the church came together and the church lifted their voices together and they cried out, Sovereign Lord. And it says that the room shook. I've read the Bible, and I've never seen a place where an individual prayed and the room shook. But over and over, you'll read accounts where people, the church, came together and prayed in unity, and miraculous things began to happen. In other words, there's something about people praying together that is a different dynamic than us praying by ourselves. So I'm going to invite you as a church community, whether you're online or in the room here, to join us this week for together prayer every day at noon. But pastor, I live in Orangeville. But pastor, I live in wherever. Markham, it's too far to drive. <laughs> well, no problem, it's gonna be on Zoom. So you can join us anyways. It'll be at 12 noon, it's only 30 minutes. 
Our pastors are going to lead this this week. The link is on our website. You can scan the QR code. There will be a link in the chat room. I want to encourage you, take 30 minutes a day, even if you can only do one day out of the week, whatever your work week looks like, whatever your school week looks like, consider joining with others in a point of agreement in together prayer, in corporate prayer. Then the third benefit of corporate prayer is it energizes our church. And by the way, that's you. We are the church. We are the collection of the church. I I used to hear this growing up, uh, and it always bothered me, so nobody amen this. I would always hear pastors and preachers say, prayer is the engine of the church. I think even early in my ministry, I just parroted what they said. I just don't believe that. I think the Holy Spirit is the engine of the church. But prayer is significant in that I think prayer is kind of like my car keys. Prayer is putting a key in the ignition and turning it over, and the engine starts. Now, why is that? Can God operate independent of our prayers? Yes, there's no limitation on God. But God chooses to work here on earth as it is in heaven through his people. It's as we humble ourselves and pray, it's like every time I pray, I'm turning a key and the engine starts going and the power starts moving. Why? God chooses to partner with his creation to be a part of his great redemption story. So when you pray, it's like turning the engine on. But God is the one that fuels this church. God is the one that moves us as individuals. In him, we move and have our being, right? So when I pray, I partner with God to do his will here on earth as it is in heaven. And so does the church. There's this great story. I've never taught on it, but I'll show you a couple of verses from it. But it's pretty interesting. And it's found in the book of Corinthians. The apostle Paul, he's under a lot of pressure. Actually, it's really bad. He is not just having a bad day. He's having a bad life at this point. Actually, this is how he says it to the church. He writes this letter to this church in Corinthians, and he says this, we do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, I don't want you to not know what I'm going through right now. I want you to know what I'm going through. We wouldn't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. Again, speaking to a family, a community, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. There is something that happens when it's beyond your ability. Friends, many of us don't experience some sort of great move of God because we position ourselves never to need him. I'll do everything I can to not find my place where it's beyond my ability. And we position ourselves, and in this culture, in this world, and especially in Canada, we have great affluence and ability to keep ourselves from that edge. Paul's not there anymore. This is beyond his ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Just take me home, God. So so things are good for Paul, right? He's having a bad day. And I'm always interested in how a believer, especially like the Apostle Paul, how does he respond when the pressure's on like this? When life is, he despairs of his own life. How does he respond? He, I, you'd expect him to respond, send some money so I can get out of here. Send some help. Send some reinforcements. But he doesn't. Here's what he responds. He says this. As you help us, can you say it with me? By your prayers. Hey, save your money. Save the reinforcements and send the prayers right now. Send the prayers. 
as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks to our thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in the answer to the prayers of many. Can you say that word with me? Those words, prayers of many, prayers of many. I got stuck on that phrase. Paul is saying something here that the amount of people. People focusing around it, the number of people involved in prayer affects the outcome of the situation. The prayers of many affect the outcome of the situation. He says, you, you must pray. Send your prayers our way. He's inviting the whole church to get behind them. In other words, for prayer to be effective, there needs to be many of us behind it. Now, that doesn't minimize individual prayer. But it does show an, a different dynamic in corporate prayer, in together prayer. Individual prayer is incredibly important, but together prayer changes, changes things in a dynamic way that is different. So how do you pray together? I'm going to end with this. We're almost done. Really quickly. How do you pray together? Well, the first thing you do is we need to gather. If you don't gather, we can't pray together, Right? So that's what they're saying in Hebrew. So that's why he's saying, put a priority on gathering. Why? Because that's, I move in community. I move in community amongst diversity. So don't forsake the gathering. Gather. You need to do that. So I, 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 I asked you to come to weekly prayer. I'm not done. <laughs> Can I ask one more favor? It's a favor, for, not for me. It's a favor for you. What about coming Sunday night, January 29th? 6 p.m. in this place, 6 p.m. online. We're going to have a worship gathering where we're going to pray for people to be healed. We've already talked about this earlier in this month, but I've got to let you know, I've gathered with all of our elders. They're fasting and praying for this night. Our deacons are. Our staff team are. We are fasting and praying that God is going to heal people that night. We are coming with expectant hearts, worshiping, We're going to worship Jesus. And here's what's neat. The kids are coming. The kids are going to have their own gathering, and they're going to learn about healing from Pastor Keith and Pastor Stephanie, and they're going to worship together, and then they're going to come into the auditorium with the rest of us, and we're going to lay hands on people, and we're going to believe that God can heal people. That's something dynamic and powerful will happen in community together. Who's this for? All of us. We all need to be here. Invite people to be there. Let's see what God will do when his church humbles themselves, unifies around something, and we pray together. So we need to gather. The second thing we need to do if we're going to uh, learn how to pray together is we need to throw our hearts into it. We need to throw our hearts into it. There's this beautiful verse in Hebrews that talks about how Jesus prayed. And however Jesus prayed is something I want to take note of. It says this in Hebrews. It says this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears. This is Jesus. He offered prayers with a loud cry and tears. Now, some of us are all wired a little differently here. So I'm not going to trudge on your wiring. But I will say this. The more, like I'm an emotional person, but the more an emotional environment is, the more I get reserved. Uh, Because I don't want to be manipulated. (laughs) Uh, Because I've been in too many moments where I thought, what's going on here? You ever been in one of those moments? It's like walking into the middle of a fight between a couple and you're just like, "Ah, I don't want to be here. (laughs) It's way over the top. (laughs) 
But there's something that Jesus is modeling here that we need to remember. It's not just having your mind present. It's having your heart in it. It's having your heart in it. It's your heart. It's your guts. It's your emotion. Prayer is a very emotional thing. It's something you feel. It's something you experience. I, I, I could say to my wife, Shelley, I love you with a monotone and flat face. Do you love me? I love you. I love you. And, and it would be very despondent. It would not be very warm. It wouldn't be welcomed. Why? Because emotion reveals affection. It reveals a level of engagement. My emotions, my heart, my mind, I'm in this in this moment. The second thing we need to do, we gather, and then we, 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 by th- we throw our hearts into it, and then we create space for everyone. Prayer gatherings, corporate prayer moments are not for the prayer experts. It's a family affair. Kids should be able to participate in it. New believers should be able to throw their voice in. You go, the words that they have and, and, and pray to God. And seniors who can quote scripture left, right, and center should feel at home there. Prayer is a family experience. A family gathering, corporate gathering of prayer is a family experience. It's for all of us. Everyone should be able to participate. And then finally, by aligning our will to God's will. Let's end this message with a little exercise. You just answer this question. Does God want to save people? Wow. We got we to do better teaching, Pastor Jessica. <laughs> I, I'm going to try that again. Does God want to save people? Yes. Of course he does, right? Does God want to restore people? Yes. Does God want to forgive people? Yes. Does God want to heal people? Yes. Does God want to love people? Yes. Does God supply for people? Yes. So pray his will. When you pray his will, you're praying that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't pray selfish small prayers. Pray his will for the people in your life and over your life. And find agreement with God. Let him do the heavy lifting. All we are is people that are turning the key. So I'm asking as a church family, you do this individually. But maybe you've never come to a corporate prayer gathering. I'm asking us to do it as a community. Not for my benefit, but for our benefit. Not because of what you'll get out of it, but what you could give into it. You see the difference? If we all come to give, God does something spectacularly different than what this world and culture does that says, let's take. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the unity in this church. God, we're very different in this room. We don't all believe the same things. We don't all think the same things. We don't have all the same preferences. We're not the same ages. We're not the same cultural backgrounds. We have diverse uh, men and women in the room. We have all these different ages and categories. There's lots of things that could divide us. But Jesus, we're all nodding in the same direction towards you, Jesus. You're the lover of our souls, our Savior, and our Redeemer. So as a community and a church, we humble ourselves before you, our King. And we see as a community, not our will, your will be done. 
We say as a community, unite us, God, and we'll do the work of staying united. But God, I pray that you would unleash faith at this church, faith in you, and we would trust you with the results of what you would do when we gather together to worship and we gather together to pray. God, would you do something among us that no one here could ever get the credit for? It would be glory to God and glory to Jesus alone. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.